0: This morning we're going to uh, we're going to introduce uh, the next couple of books we're going to look at. I put I kind of am combining the introduction all together. These are two very short books. It probably will only take us, including this week, five weeks, and we'll be done with them. Uh, but uh, um, um, I just I thought it would be well just to, since we did first John, we'd pick up the two books that followed it. Uh, they're all. Uh, Contemporary with one another and we'll talk about that in a little bit but at any rate anyway that's that's kind of my plan so the so we're kind of going to introduce both of them today but uh, we'll probably spend two weeks on the text of second John and two weeks on the text of third John and that will pretty well cover it uh i was looking through the commentaries i have and the, some of the surveys i have and just about everybody that's the way they do it they may divide it a little bit differently but they do it in two lessons for each one so because that's kind of the way it falls out uh at any rate that's where we're going to go this morning so um before we begin our uh, i i i, I thankful that you guys endured the weather and got out this morning and survived the weekend for the men's uh deal so at any rate uh uh, are there any prayer requests this morning no? Okay, well, we'll just, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father God, we, uh, we give you thanks this morning as we come. We thank you that we are able to, to come together in this place to worship you, to, to look into your word, to study your word, uh, to give our thanks, our thanksgiving to you for, for your goodness toward us. And to thank you, especially for the grace you have shown us through your son, Jesus Christ, that in him we have redemption from our sin, though we don't deserve it. uh, Yet you and in your love and through your mercy uh, called us to yourself. And for that, we 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 give thanks. And those words don't seem near enough. Uh, But we just ask, as John encourages, that we would we would love one another. We would trust you. And be obedient to your command. And we would thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so this morning, as we come to this, like I said, I'm going to kind of combine these together. Uh, we'll take looks at each one, but but um, uh, some of the main points of, of introduction to this book are the same thing for both books. So so we will uh, we'll look at it that way. Uh, the two uh, the two letters are the shortest two. And, and I'm calling them letters rather than epistles because that's what they are. They're, they are personal letters, and uh, uh, and and they they're the two shortest books of the New Testament. Uh, neither one of them contained more than 300 words in the original Greek, and they would fit on one sheet of papyri. Uh, that's that's they're just they're just that small and that condensed and that uh, uh, that. Uh, they're, they're a, a personal note, really, that he is writing, uh, writing to these. Uh, well, I'm going to give away part of one of my interpretive options. These indivi- it's on. Uh one of the, to these individuals. Um, uh, they're they're formed in the typical the the conventional uh, Greco-Roman letter writing style, uh, and so they're letters. That's what they are. Now, within the text of each letter. Uh, they touch upon, as did first John, they t- touch upon truth and love and hospitality. That that theme runs through actually all three of John's books. And especially in these two, he, he's going to direct the, the believers to whom hospitality is to be extended. And it's based upon our hospitality toward people is based upon their association with Jesus Christ where they stand what their what their what their uh, what their relationship to the truth of the gospel is uh, that's that's how he is that's how he is going to lay that out second john directs the, the believer on who should not receive hospitality Uh, he's going to he's going to uh, make it very clear who uh, who we are to stay away from it and we will develop that thought of what hospitality is here it doesn't mean saying hello to somebody it's it's far more than that it's 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 the things that went on in that day and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute Uh, and then third john Encourages the proper use of Christian hospitality, how it how it should be played out, and how it should be how it should be uh, uh, exercised. <clears throat> and the backdrop is the same as First John; it's the growing heresy of Gnosticism. Uh, that's um, that's what that's what is is behind these two letters as well. That's that's where the the whole issue of who to be hospitable to is going to come into it. Is is basically uh, the the false teachers. First John uh, stated that uh, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they were for if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it may be may, so that excuse me so that it would be that they all are not of us. In other words, John is saying they left us because they really never were part of us. And the idea that John is going to express and we're going to see kind of developed in these books is these itinerant heretics. No, I don't want to call them preachers, but they're heretics. Travel to other churches to spread their heresy. That's 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 the problem that's that's being addressed as we move through this. <clears throat> Incidentally, I know we kind of talked about this before, but just as kind of a reminder, and we stay into this, the Gnostic teachers, basically, they, embe- they embraced a philosophy of religion, not not a, not, a specific, not a specific single system, but rather a philosophy. And the philosophy was based in Greek dualism, which basically said that spirit was good. I mean, this is an oversimplification, but, but anything that was spirit was good and anything that was material was evil. That that's how they that's that's the basic philosophy that came behind it, and then it it took different forms, and of course here in First John, Second John, and Third John, we have the very the very. Early and in fact, most commentators call it incipient Gnosticism. It was the beginnings. It was the Gnosticism creeping in uh, to the uh, uh, to the church at that time, and and it, it had different forms, but it, it wasn't it wasn't a developed um, theology, I suppose you would call it, or non theology really. But anyway, any rate, at any rate it, it wasn't really developed yet at that time, and it took a couple of it took a couple of different branches. Uh because basically in their philosophy what it meant was that <clears throat> is that 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 the spirit which was good and matter which was evil couldn't coexist together. The, they could not coexist together. That was that's that's the idea. The result of that was when applied to Christianity, Christ could not be both God and man. They couldn't exist in the same person. That was the, that was the outcome of this philosophical view of the Gnostics. And so they had two, and they, and they had began to develop within two different schools. One school, <clears throat> excuse me, one school said that basically, the, in essence, the Christ was a prolonged theopony. It was the appearance of. Of someone, it wasn't. He wasn't real. Uh, he was a phantom or a ghost, even if you will. And and that was a uh, 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 which uh, basically comes from a Greek word that means to seem. And that's the idea behind it: is he seemed to be a man. It was was the idea that they uh, they they uh, centered on the later the uh, and then the, the second theory uh, was that that uh, that uh, this guy named Jesus who was a natural human being uh, that at his baptism the spirit of Christ came upon him and prior to his death on the cross the spirit left him uh, but he was never really. Uh, the uh, The hyperstatic union didn't take place within Christ. He was not both God and man he was just a man who had the spirit on him was the, is the idea and that was that was uh, <clears throat> uh which uh Serentius was the primary advocate and was named after him those were those were the two schools that that were circulating at that, that time and you understand that both of these Had they either one of these, actually not both of these, but had either one of these become the standard of Christianity, there would be no Christianity. It wouldn't exist. And in fact, many of the major cults today, I mean, how we know there are cults is you just ask them, who is Jesus Christ? You know, you just ask him that question and they will not tell you he was God, man. He, they won't come up with that. He's an angel. He's this, he's that. He was a prophet, all kinds of other things. But they will not come up with the fact that within that, that he took on flesh, which is which is John's definition of a heretic, someone who denies that ultimately. Uh, so so that's the idea here. The idea the idea here is is uh, is John. In fact, in John, in First John four one through three, he he says, "Well, let's turn over there. Let's run run back there for just a minute." He says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that f- that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that's not." F- confess Jesus is not from God. Uh, this is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard, that is coming and is now already in the world. You uh, you are from God, little children, and you have overcome, because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And basically, the, to confess that Jesus did not come in the flesh is Antichrist, opposed to Christ. That's that's the idea. And, and, and having made that denial logically logically, then concludes that you also deny the Incarnation, of course, you deny the virgin birth, you deny Christ's sinless life, which is then leads to you have to deny the substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection, and ultimately the second coming. In other words, Christianity is null and void under that kind of a system. That's, that's, the, that's, that's ultimately what, uh, uh, what is being said here also John's teaching is simply this too that this denial doesn't come from, from a lack of knowledge or, or, or from ignorance of the truth but a knowledge of it which is rejected that's, that's, that's the idea here I think a primary example of that would be groups like the Watchtower Society Here's a society that that has a Bible that they perverted a little bit and they deny Jesus Christ Uh, and they they claim to be the interpreters of scripture. So it's not that they don't know scripture, it's they reject it. That's that's the picture here. That's the picture John is painting of these people of these people in this in this particular instance. Second John 7 is going, we'll say, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. In verse 7, he's going to say that. So that's, that's the picture, the backdrop that we come into is that this application of, of hospitality, which is going to run through these two books is 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 applied because of these false teachers who are who are traveling who are traveling from church to church that's the idea here the three letters of john develop the theme of fellowship and or hospitality in first john the theme is fellowship with god in second john uh, the theme is fellowship uh, is the theme is fellowship with enemies of the truth or in this particular case lack of and in john 3 uh, the focus on fellowship with proclaimers of the truth that's that 's how the books are going to flow as as we begin to move through them uh, as to authorship it's it 's pretty much un, not disputed there are some who who, of course, the liberal camps have always they question everything, and nothing was written by anybody who said it was written by, and none of it was ever written when we say it was written. It was written centuries later, you know. That's 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 just standard from the liberal theologians, or as I like to call them, the non-regenerate theologians. Uh, uh, <coughs> uh, but the authorship of Second and Third John is uh, is is basically uh, not really disputed. The problem with is because these are personal letters, the circulation was very limited. Which is obvious, you know, how many people have seen the mail you got last month? You know, that's, that's kind of the idea here. You know, this was this was very uh, the circulation was very limited. And there was only a few people in that in that early days uh, that uh, that knew about them, probably the churches these people belong to. And then it, it, it spread out from there a little bit. How and so there's not a lot of quotation and there's not a lot to quote either, but at any rate, there's not a lot of quotations from these two books, but uh, we, they are quoted by Arrhenius, uh, Clement of Alexander, Origen, and Ciprian, uh and they all attributed these books uh, to um, to the Apostle John. Third John was uh, was included in the canon in the Council of Carthage in AD three ninety seven. So they 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 received acceptance as 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 authored by John. The letters are anonymous. John doesn't begin them by saying, you know, I the Apostle John to Fred. They they don't say that. Uh, They they are they they don't identify Uh, John as the writer, he identifies himself simply as the elder. This opens, of course, within theological realms, people write papers on this. Why did he use the word elder? Well, there's a couple of reasons why he might have used the word elder. One elder represents, of course, uh, a church leader, which, of course, John was. Of course, he was far more than a simple local church pastor or leader. He was an apostle. Uh, but yet, uh, Peter called himself an elder, so it's not uncommon. It's identifying with with uh, uh, with the church leaders in effect as one of them, uh, because there is equality among amongst believers. Different positions, different functions, but equality under the cross. That's that's the idea. Secondly, John has an affinity at this point. The man is ninety years old. He is an elder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because "elder" Alt, uh, uh, meant older man. That's really what it meant uh, initially. It was adapted. It was adapted within the uh, the Jewish. Um, idea for for synagogue leaders and and the and, and basically age was viewed as wisdom, unlike today where it's get out of the way, old man, you know. But uh, but uh, uh, but uh, uh, it was viewed as those who had wisdom and those who could give good counsel. So that's part of it too, and, and probably both could be true. More of the majority kind of tend to think he used it because he had an affinity for calling the church members his little children. And so he used this term as a, a term of, of uh, uh, you know, uh, the grandfather of the church speaking to you kind of idea is, is kind of the idea here. So it's not really a big deal. And like we said, First Peter 5.1, Peter identifies himself as, a, as, as an elder. But there's some who bring a challenge because he used that word. Uh, the style and the vocabulary are similar to that of the Gospel of John and to First John. Uh, there are a lot of common words and phrases that are that are John. They're they're kind of the ones that are that are close to him and that are found in all three letters. For example, uh, love in the truth, truth in you, uh, hast seen God, uh, love uh, love in the truth, walk in the truth, have known the truth. New commandment: love one another. Deceiver, antichrist, and abide. All those words flow through these books, and those are those are phrases that are very much particular to John. He uses them over and over again. And as we went through First John, I I think you probably recognize a number of those. Um, <sighs> both denial uh, both books uh, both 1st uh, John and 2nd John uh, deal with the heresy of the di- denial of Christ's humanity Seven, eleven, 11 in 2nd in John and 1st John 4 1-3 that we read earlier uh, all of those point to that, that that's the denial that John is dealing with the, the denial of the humanity of Christ uh, the letters share many similarities with which uh, uh, with each other uh, and with First John and suggest that they were written probably in the same time frame uh, the, these letters may have all been written about the same time AD 90 that's somewhere in that time frame most most most, uh, most commentators some commentators let's put it this way they want to be a little broader in their aspect they'll say 85 to 95 well the middle of that is 90 so we're saying 90 about 90. And, and that's about how old John is at this point too but um, there, uh, there is a unity among the early Christian writers that Ephesus was John's headquarters at the time of this writing, and that's probably where he is writing from. He's, he's writing from Ephesus, it's about approximately AD 90, he probably wrote all three letters in a very short period of time some even believe that that at least to the two churches that these letters would have been sent, the individual churches that these individuals were a part of, that these may have even been cover letters to First John. That they may have gone, they may have gone all out simultaneously, if you will. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but they did go out within the same time period. So that's kind of so. So basically, we're looking at another book by John. Two books by John. Uh, ultimately, he wrote the Gospel, First, Second, and Third John, and the Revelation. That's the, the, he wrote five of the New Testament books, and then. That is five, right? Yeah, five. <laughs> at, any rate, at any rate, the theme and purpose of, of Second John, what is he writing about, and, and why did he write? Uh, the first purpose of John's letter is to commend the lady and her children for their loyalty and the truth. And, and next week when we get into this, to the greeting of John, we'll, we'll develop this a little bit more. But there's two, two ideas here. There, there is one school that thinks John wrote to an individual lady... She mentions her her children. He calls her an elect lady. And 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 then uh makes comment about her children, and then which means verse 13 would be a sister of hers children that he ran across. That's that's one idea. The other idea is that this is a church, and he's using a metaphor here. John really isn't big on metaphors and doesn't develop great big metaphors a lot through his writing uh, at least in these kind of books the revelation has a lot of them in it but but that's a little different that was a little different than these these books but in these in these books he do, he doesn't do a lot of that um, however, if that's the case then verse 13 refers to a sister church and its congregation. there's not really a ton of evidence either way it's a little ambiguous uh, I vote for the first one but anyway we'll develop that next week uh, but at any rate uh, uh at any rate, uh, the idea is to con- is is an encouragement. Whether it's an encouragement to a church body or an individual, it's an encouragement. That's the first thing. The, s- the second is to encourage a continued walk of love and obedience to God's command. Verses five through the first of verses one through four, and then five through six is the second. And finally, he warns against false teachers in seven through eleven and an association with those false teachers. And then he um, it's to inform his planned his planned visit in verse 12 and to send greeting uh, from her sister's children and or church in the final verses the basic theme is the standing firm in the practice of purity of the apostolic doctrine uh, he says that you have heard from the beginning in verse six it's meant to remind the believer to continue continually walk in obedience to god's command to love one another verses four through six and then the letter serves as a warning and not to associate with teachers who did not acknowledge the truth about Jesus Christ. Verses verses uh, uh, seven through eleven. The letter can be divided into two divisions. In. Um, this is probably the, not the outline. Well, wait, I don't know if I'll use those for the titles, but it's probably the outline we're going to use for teaching this book. But practice of the truth in verses 1 through 6 and protection of the truth in verses 7 through 13. Now, the book brings up an interesting, and in third John will too, kind of, but 1st, 2nd John, Second John brings, a, brings up a practice that took place in the early church that is kind of important to understand when we come into the text of the book, and that is in the early church we had local congregations. Uh, those congregations met in homes, basically. Uh, Corinth was probably the first place that had a, had a, um, um, a central meeting place, kind of like we do. Uh, but they met in homes, sometimes in rented facilities. Paul pr- preached sometimes in a rented facility where he was working out of. But generally, the local churches of the New Testament era met in homes. Second John is probably referring to a church that met in the home of a specific individual. That's probably what he's talking to. And during that time, and in fact, the book is going to talk about, John sent people to that church to assist, to teach. Not unlike what we did yesterday. Not unlike that, but a little bit different in that they came specifically uh, to teach apostolic doctrine and and they would, would be sent to these churches. Well, what has happened now as we get toward the end of the first century is this heretical movement has begun. Gnosticism. And these Gnostics kind of fled away from where John had Stricter supervision, i.e. around Ephesus, and they spread their heresy to local churches by coming in as itinerant preachers, which then the churches brought in, took care of them, fed them, and then sent them on their way to the next church. That's, that's kind of the practice that went on during that time. That's why John is going to have to address this issue, you know, to be circumspect about who you're dealing with here. Who you're letting in, uh, who you're letting in to your local church. Uh, very often we, 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 th- th- there's some practical implications for us today that are a little bit different, but even for local churches today, who do we associate with? Uh, who do you, who do you, who do you, who do you, um, what kind of movements do you get involved with? You know, For example, there are all kinds of ecumenical movements that may come along where the groups get together and it's going to stand against, against uh, say, abortion, for example. Well, do we send with people who don't believe the truth of the gospel just because they agree with us on one, one point? Those are the things you have to deal with. And John is dealing with that here. He's dealing with that in this book. And that's what he's talking to in 1 John when he says, when he's, when he's going to talk about not associating with, not extending fellowship, not extending hospitality, because basically you're participating in their sin. You're participating in their heresy. That's, that's the idea. So, so that's kind of the backdrop here. It's itinerant preachers being, being, being discerning on who it is you're letting in the door—that's that's what he's telling them. That's that's what he's telling them to do. Don't don't be helping the heretics is is the idea <clears throat> that he's talking about. Now the setting, the second John. Uh, once again, is it's a little hard to to accurately identify the addressees, the elect lady and her children. Verse one, as we already said, it could be a a woman and her children. If this is the case. Probably the church met in her home. Verse ten kind of indicates that that this is where the church met, uh, and also. Um, Verse 13 then would be the sister, uh, the children of this lady's sister that he's talking about. Um, if we go figuratively, then it's a local church congregation. And verse thirteen is, a, is another local church congregation. Once again, it would be a church meeting in a home, more than likely. And according to First John, false teachers apparently split off, and they were traveling to these other churches, spreading their heresy. First John two nineteen. Uh, the text of Second John warns, and the and Third and John encourages. Uh, uh, is an encouragement to provide insight to the common practice of these traveling teachers among the local churches in the early church it's, it's a warning, basically it's a warning the setting here is a warning to protect the church from these itinerant preachers, to make sure you know who it is you're letting in the door uh, they don't want these heretics coming in and instructing the church and the believer is not to be hospitable toward them, you're not to bring them into your home and house them and feed them and provide them with the necessity cities to move on to the next church to spread their heresy. That's, that's what, that's what the setting is. That's, that's how John is, 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 is instructing this church. John's warning is to protect the truth uh, from these heretics by not extending hospitality to toward them. He informs the church members to assist these teachers would cause, and I think this is, this is kind of Kind of interesting, it says you 've got to pay attention to what you 're doing what you do matters before God, because ultimately what he 's going to tell them is to participate in these people 's sin by taking care of them is a loss of reward for you you 're going to stand accountable for that uh, that 's the idea here and it can, and it can cost you loss of reward John is going to going to tell them and he <clears throat> John makes clear that the area of fundamental doctrine has no room for contra- compromise. It has no room for error. And there is no such thing in, in this arena for academic freedom. That's, that's the bottom line here. Uh, that's the bottom line here. I think for us today it says... Be careful what conferences you go to. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you read and understand who you're reading before you read them. Is is the idea here. So that's that's the setting of 1 John, itinerant preachers. The theme and purpose of 3 John is a little bit different. He's going to take it's the same, but it's the other side now with with a little with a little other kicker in the middle of it. Uh, this letter is a personal note by John, to inform Gaius of his love and prayers, verses 1 and 2. In other words, this letter is written, he says who he's writing to. He's writing to a a believer named Gaius. That's, that's, That's what he's doing when we come to 3 John. He's writing him a very specific letter to this guy. And he's informing Gaius of his love and prayers for him. And he rejoices over this man's stand for the truth. And it'll be a little bit more obvious um, as you get into the book. Why uh, he commends Gaius for his hospitality? Uh, as you get into the book, you find out that Gaius actually housed and took care of uh, emissaries from John that were sent to this church. The, 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 so these were authentic <laughs> itinerant preachers, and 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 then and then. Uh, <clears throat> And then he's, uh, that's the verses 8 through 5, and then in, in verses 9 through 10, uh, he, he's going to present a rejection of Theopoly's ignorance, or, or excuse me, arrogance, and dictatorial leadership. He's going to make some statements about leadership here, about uh, this guy is a guy who, who somehow seized power in this church and lords it over them. And we'll develop a little more about him later on but but uh, uh, this is a dangerous position to be in and john John is condemning him and he uh, and he uh, calls to reject his leadership and to follow the example of another man within the church named Demetrius and his good example in verse eleven and then in verse twelve, he's going to commend Demetrius. And and in fact, he's he's then going to inform Gaius of his plans to visit. This text could probably be divided into the duty of of, of hospitality, and perhaps the danger of haughtiness in this in this in this text. So we're going to have two things going on here: the proper use of hospitality and the improper use of church, of, of uh, position within the church. Uh, those, those two things are going to be going on in <clears throat> in this particular text. The setting, the setting in, this, in this text is the question of who is Gaius? Gaius was a common name in the first century. In fact, there are, there are uh, several people who are named Gaius in the New Testament. Um, and it's clear that Gaius was well known to John and perhaps many of the believers in Ephesus as well. Uh, from verses 1 3 5 and 5 through 6 there are four individuals that that are actually named Gaius in the new testament Uh, one is Gaius of Macedonia in Acts 19 29 there's Gaius of Darby in Acts 24 there's Gaius of Corinth in, in Acts 31 now, some people have tried to uh, tie these folks together with them, but there's a big problem here. All of these guys are in the early part of, or, well, not necessarily the early part, but all of these people are converts of Paul. These are all people who associated with Paul and worked with Paul. And it's, and it's evident that the Gaius we're talking about uh, is, a, is, a, is a convert of John. Uh, these guys were. This Gaius was not associated with Paul. He's associated with John. So little is really known about this guy, except for he he was an influential, hospitable member of a church in the Roman province of Asia that was under John's supervision. Incidentally, he's probably thirty years removed from the other Gaiuses as well. Uh, so uh, that that's uh, that's that's a, that's a big part of this. So who the guy is? He's just a faithful church member of, of this church in Asia Minor, which John had supervision over. That's, that's really the, uh, the idea here. Uh, in this church, which Gaius was a member of, there has been a, a, there has been a problem that developed uh, within the leadership. Uh, Diotrephes somehow had captured authority. Uh, you know, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, well, I guess it's maybe even three or four weeks ago, uh, an event that I lived through when I was at West Park Baptist Church with, with a guy who basically tried to do this, this same kind of thing, uh, of exercising a coup, if you will, and trying to capture authority and power over the church, um, who, uh, who then died of cancer in every major organ of his body. I personally believe that this. We talked about this about the sin, seeing someone that's sent unto death. That's what I think that was. This guy's in danger of that. You don't mess with the Church of Jesus Christ. You don't take authority. This guy demonstrates his lack of biblical understanding, his lack of 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 anything anything to do with how the church should run. He basically somehow. Captures the power within this church that he dictates who can come and speak in the church. In fact, he rejects allowing allowing the uh, emissaries of John to even speak within the church, and he excommunicates anybody who helped him that he finds out helped him at any rate. At any rate, because apparently Gaius did, and it doesn't seem he got excommunicated, or or maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, that that isn't discussed but that's the problem in this church a guy who thinks he's in charge ultimately what uh, Diotrephes is saying is i'm the head of the church he's supplanting the headship of jesus christ that's that's what he is doing uh, that's the picture that is painted here and uh, <clears throat> And he's spoken against John. He refuses to welcome the people who he has sent. He mistreats them, and he excommunicates anybody who helps him. There's a previous letter that it's obvious from this text that John has sent to this church, directed at what is going on with Diotrephes, which apparently somehow Diotrephes intercepted and squelched. He probably tore it up. Uh, but at any rate, that letter is lost, it's gone. Uh, and, and we, we assume Third John is the replacement for that letter. Uh, the, the news uh, has, there's a couple of ways that that news probably got back to John. Uh, one, his emissaries who returned in verse 10. Uh, the report of the brethren uh, cared for by, by Gaius over, over the time period. Uh, the report by Demetrius. Uh, all of these probably brought back the same message about Diotrephes and how, what was going on within the church, which prompted then John uh, to write Third John. And uh, <clears throat> and John's hope was that that perhaps Gaius and the church would correct the problem themselves. They would stand up to this guy and and discipline him. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been involved with a church where you've had to discipline a leader, uh, but it's a hard thing to do. I've had to do it. And it's 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 difficult and uh, it's it's taxing and it's wearing. And I think this patch of gray hair came from it. But at any rate, uh, but at any rate, um, uh, that that's that's what he's called. That's what he's hoping they will do. Because he wasn't able to get there right away. He's planning to come, but he can't leave today. That's kind of the idea. And it's then likely that Demetrius would deliver this letter. Uh, John wanted him maybe to help intercede and foster the the removal of diatrophies and maybe even take power or not take power but to to take the leadership within this church until John could get there and finish the work of discipline that's, that's the setting of 3rd John so 3rd John is about two things it's about disciplining someone who has usurped authority within the church that didn't have a right to do it incidentally and 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 certainly didn't do it in any way that would be. Well, I know mean, that's almost a contradiction of terms. But anyway, basically the guy was out of bounds. That's that's the bottom line here. He was totally out of bounds and needed to be corrected. And then otherwise, it is the proper use of hospitality toward holy men of God who have come to. Educate, help, and 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 work within the church family, uh, and then I I gave I gave a, a couple of outlines for each one, and like I said, this. This may be our working outline for the next four weeks, and it's abiding in Christ's command. First John, uh, first second John, is is abiding in Christ's commandments. We have the salutation, the walking in the truth, walking in love, uh, uh, and abiding not in false teachers, the doctrine of false teachers, avoiding of false teachers, and his benediction. And third John is is commending Gaius. Uh, would be the first part, verses one through eight. Once again, a salutation. The godliness of Gaius, the generosity of Gaius, and the, con- and the condemnation of Diotrephes, the pride of Diotrephes, the praise of Demetrius, and the benediction. That's so. These are pretty simple books, and like I said, it will take it will take us about four weeks, and we will have finished them. So that's uh, that's where we are, and I got done too quick because they're too short of books. But anyway, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, are there any questions or? Or comments this morning. You were talking about Nazism. Isn't Nazism also like that philosophy of like we have specialized knowledge and? Well, yeah that that is the yeah you're correct. As as the um, as the heresy developed, and certainly by the second century, but even in the even in the fir- the latter, latter part of the first century, um, the that the. the um, The Gnostics, uh, and like I said, I didn't go into a delineated idea about it, but the Gnostics basically held that, yeah, you might be a Christian, but you're kind of a low-level Christian. We're the super saints. We have knowledge far beyond you. And, you know, you might could attain to our level, but probably not. And uh, we have insight that you, you certainly can't have. You know, that's, that, that was the Gnostic. Uh, in other words, we're the Watchtower Society, and we interpret the Bible for you who can't understand it. You, you see, that's, that's who they were. That kind of deal. Uh, we're, we're, the, we're, we're Joseph Smith, and we looked in a hat full of rocks and came up with this book called The Book of Mormon, which, enti- which, which translates the Bible for you, because it can't otherwise be understood. You know, we're Mary Eddie Baker, and we're the ones who decide what Scripture says for you, you know, uh, because you can't obtain to that. That's all Gnostic. Uh, that's that's all Gnostic views. And any church leader who comes in and basically says, you don't have the ability to understand Scripture. That's not to say that we don't need teachers. We all need teachers. You know, I revel in sitting in there every morning because. That guy goes far deeper than I can. But uh, you know, and there's guys, that, and guess who he learned it from? You know, <laughs> uh, because we're we're we are all called to different deals and gifted with different things, uh, different gifts by the Holy Spirit, and we're to use those for everybody's mutual benefit, not to make ourselves look good. You know, that's that's the bottom line. Uh, whatever God has gifted you with, but God didn't gift anybody with a super revelatory knowledge that nobody else has maybe with the exception of the apostles back in the first century to to bring the scriptures to you but if you read them you understand that they understood what their job was and they understood it was a their job under god's authority not not they were super saints and you followed them that wasn't the idea Uh, the idea was you followed scripture so yeah, that's 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 a big part of Gnosticism was this idea of having super. They called it epigenosis, super knowledge. That that was the idea. That's the idea. It's it's throughout. <laughs> there are other places epigenosis ep, whatever I said is is used and it it didn't refer to Gnosticism. It's referred to the to the fact that we do have the ability to have. The knowledge God wants us to have, but when it's applied, especially in John's writings, it's applied to First uh, John, Second John, Third John. Well, I don't think he uses in Third John, but in 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 those places, uh, it's it's being used to speak of uh, an unbiblical knowledge that these folks claim to have, special revelatory knowledge that nobody else has. You know, which is the problem with that uh, that uh, that group that we had a whole seminar about, and my brain just went dead. Uh, huh? Influencers. Influencers. Their leader claimed to have epigenosis. That's what he claimed. He claimed he had super knowledge. He had revelatory knowledge. That's her- heresy number one. Well, number two. Heresy number one is denying who Christ is. Uh, but, uh, but but yeah, you're right. They did, th- that, that's part of their... Their heresy is. We're super saints. We, you can kind of be down there, but we're super saints. You, know, you you will not attain our level. That's the idea. Anything anything else? Well, anyway, I hope you enjoy this. It's be a quick a quick study, uh, but uh, I really wanted to go through these two books since I figured we might as do might as well do all three of his letters. So that's what we that's what we will do. And like I said, it'll only take four weeks. So. Don, would you close us?